commitment mean today? What did commitment mean yesterday? What does commitment mean in the Bible? And we're going to walk through some of that this morning. So when God first put this on my heart, I decided, well, I need to really figure out what commitment is. So I turned to Webster's Dictionary, and I, I love the dictionary, when, especially when it uses the, the uh, root of the word to define the word. It just drives me crazy. But I looked and I saw commitment. It said to do, to affect, to give in trust, to put into custody, to join, to put together, to pledge, to engage. When I looked at commitment, it says the act of pledging or engaging oneself, the act of entrusting. Actually, it first started off said to commit. And I thought, wait, I'm still struggling with what commit meant. So then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to look into the uh, evangelical dictionary of theology that I have, and I found nothing about the word commitment. Then I went to Vine's Concise Dictionary of the Bible, and there I found some translation that said the definition is to give, to give over, to change, or to charge. And in Vine's Complete Expository, I found the definition doing or practicing in the sense of entrusting or delivering something to a person or to give or to put oneself aside. So I'm still digging because I still don't have an answer that I can deal with. And so I went to NRSV Concordance, and I found scripture reference for the word commit, commits, committed, committing, but only one reference to the word commit. And it was in Leviticus 24.8. And the Bible that I had sitting beside me was the NIV version, so I turned to Leviticus 24.8, and the words were this. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. And then the New American Standard said an everlasting covenant. And I thought, well, the Concordance told me it said commitment. And so I then looked further, and I looked at the word, commit, uh, the word covenant, and it's listed over 400 times. And the question arose, are we dumbing down God's covenant to us and our commitment to him? Covenant today means an agreement usually by lease or deed. In the Bible, it's a promise made to humanity by God. God protects them that obey. So what does commitment mean to us today? It's kind of like trying to define what a Christian is today. And you've heard us, we've struggled with that. We have people say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and then we watch the way they live their lives and people go, well, okay, I, I think I'm a believer and a Christian too because I can live like that guy's living. In fact, I live a little better than him, so the bar is set here, and so now I'm above that, so I'm a darn good Christian. James 5.12 says, Above all, brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. How do we commit to something today? So listen to some of the typical responses when we ask or people ask you to, or can, can you do this for me, or can you do that? And you go, oh, yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in. Just let me know. And a couple of days later, the phone rings, and you go, hey, okay, we're going to do this on Saturday at 10. Oh, uh, I play golf on Saturday now. So uh, I'll be all in if you can do it Sunday at 4. Or you hear these people that will say, I need to be doing something. So tell me what it is. 
It doesn't matter. Just tell me what it is. Well, we need the toilets clean Saturday at 5.30 so they'll be clean for service on Sunday morning. Uh, man, is that like every Saturday? This sounds like a long-term commitment. Sounds like it's, gonna, it's a long-term project. I don't know if I can commit to a long-term project. You see, too often our commitments are 100% about us and our lifestyle. You've heard me tell the story of the pastor who's prayed to the Lord and said, God, I will do anything you need me to do. Just use me wherever you need to use me. And the district superintendent told him two days later, we have an opening in Africa. We need to send a pastor over there. Will you pray about it? And his prayer was, God, I'll do anything you want me to do in this zip code. Some of you guys may remember when your word was your bond. It didn't need an attorney to draw up anything. God's word is his bond. Remember when a handshake meant it was a done deal. We struggle today. So when you get ready to eat breakfast in the morning, if you're eating eggs and ham, whether it's pork or whether it's turkey, there's a couple of folks that have a commitment to that. Just show that slide. The chicken will tell you I'm committed. Give you an egg and walk away. The pig or the turkey can't do that. So we see there's different levels of commitment, and that's what we play with. God's commitment to you is all in. Our commitment to him needs to be the same. As I said, in the coming Sundays this month, we're going to be talking about as a body and as individuals being a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth, and a beacon of love. But we first must be committed to Jesus. So grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26. I'm going to begin in the 31st verse. We're going to see commitment. We're going to hear commitment. And we're going to find out what commitment really means. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Is that a commitment? That's a commitment. Is that a covenant? Is that a promise? It was his words. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered this very night before the Rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the others did the same. Is that a commitment to Jesus? Especially from Peter? Is this a covenant with Jesus? Do they just make a contract with Jesus? Do they make a promise to Jesus? Go to verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Jebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to keep to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch for me for one hour, he asked Peter. 
Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So are they still committed? Are they being obedient? Verse 42. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. So the question is, has Jesus' commitment changed? Actually, it's gotten a little deeper, a little more committed. Because listen to what he says before. He says, my father, if it's, if it's possible for this cup to be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he says, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then go to verse 43. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. We know that's the symbolism of the three times. See how we decide so often, though, what is important to someone else. If it's not important to us, it's just not that important. Verse 45, he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So it sounds like that Peter was committed to Jesus. With his words, he made a promise. He gave his word. Minutes later, he's asleep. The one thing we often overlook in this passage is we look at verse 40, and it says, Jesus returned to his disciples. But then as we begin to lose that commitment, we stray from God. Because in verse 45, it says he returned to the disciples. Commitment and covenant should be the same for us with our Lord and Savior. So what does commitment look like to God? It looks like this. It looks like Christ hanging on the cross. If you're not all in for God, you can't be all in in any relationship or endeavor. And you know why? Because you want some control over it. You want to have a say into it. Your obedience is more about you than it is about God. We talk about marriage as a covenant, a commitment. But so often we hear, if I would have known five days ago, five weeks ago, five months ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, I would have never gotten married. We would have never had children. But yet people are asked to describe marriage with one word, and you cannot use the word love. You know the words that they hear? Commitment. Unselfishness. Perseverance. And patience. Yet we try so often to fix other people. Try to fix our partners, our co-workers, our friends, our loved ones, our situations, and we try to fix them ourselves. We can't fix them, but God can. And so often we don't listen to God. We don't follow him. We're not committed to him. We want to try to direct him. That's not our role. You see, if you can prove in a relationship that has gone bad or is sideways, that one-tenth is your responsibility. And 99.9% .9 
belongs to somebody else. Do you just walk away from that? Or do you get somebody else and say, hey, try to fix this? Or do you pray and say, Lord, can you fix me? You ever think that he could take and fix that one-tenth and fix the rest? Do you have the faith and the trust in him to see that he's at work in chaotic situations, seeking someone to live out Isaiah 6-8 and saying, Lord, send me. If you're committed to a situation or relationship without God, you're not really committed to maintaining it, or more importantly, you're not committed to growing it. You're really committed to trying to control part of it. Some people say, well, my life is just upside down. In fact, I hate my life. My question is, who gave you your life? God did. Who made the decisions, whether you have excuses or you can play the blame game, of the decisions that you made in your life? And the answer is, you did. Yet we want to blame God. Do you want to blame God for giving you free will? So if you hate your life, are you committed to the one that has given you your life? Who loves you despite all the decisions that you have made, and it is God. So you shouldn't blame God. You shouldn't hate God. You should love God. And we're going to hear more about agape love next week, being a beacon of love to others. But I want to look at a couple of scriptures just very quickly. You see, agape love is the same attitude described as the attitude God had for his son. In John 17, 25, we hear Jesus pray about us having that same love. Righteous Father, though this world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you may, that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And then Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then finally, the one that we know all too well, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when we think about love and we think about the commitment that God has for us, we need to look around our homes and our family and our streets and our workplace and our community and to see what's wrong. And my gosh, we can see what's wrong. But do we see where the needs are for people to have love and mercy in their life? So listen carefully. Ask God, what can I do? How can I be your vessel? How can I be your slave in this situation? If you have a faithful, committed relationship with him, he'll answer you. Now, you may not like the answer. And you may tell him, I can't do that. He knows you can't do it, but he can. Or you may tell him, God, you got the wrong person. Go ahead, Jonah. Try that. You see, if, you, if those are your responses, you need to rethink the relationship you have with God. Revelation 3.15 says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. If you're lukewarm, you cannot be a beacon of love. You cannot be a beacon of trust. You cannot be a beacon of hope. Titus 1.16 says, 
Then they claim to know you, God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And then Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? You see, we spend more time judging others and second-guessing and finding fault, saying, why me, why them? But knowing that God uses trials to deepen our relationship with him. We don't always get it. We don't always understand it. But he wants us to know him better. He wants us to show that he loves us and that we need to have faith and trust in him. And when we have faith and trust in him at a deeper level, we will grow his kingdom and we will be better. He wants to fill us, fill that deeper love, a better understanding of his will for our life. Your hope is in the one that created all things, including you. He wants you to understand at a deeper level the love, the passion, and the commitment he had for you when he hung on the cross. You guys have heard me just tell the story of our our German shepherd bear, what a wonderful dog he was. So obedient, so trusting. You see, as his master, I could tell bear, come here, and he would come. I could tell bear, sit down, and he would sit. I could tell bear to get in the car, and he would run to the car. Oh, how I wished I was that obedient to my master. You see, when God tells us something, we come up with some excuse. God says, get in the car. Really, that car? Don't you have a better car for me to go in? Isn't there a limo, God, that you could pick me up? I mean, after all, you're God. Sure, God, I just don't want to ride in the back. Can I ride in the front? You know somebody's yelling shotgun as soon as they head for the car. And somebody's wanting to get behind the wheel. We need to be obedient to our master. We worry about others. It's in our human nature. In John 21, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved was following him. This was the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, I want him to remain alive until I return. What is it to you? Just follow me. Just be obedient what I'm asking you to do. You know, we have seen a, a, a great generation that's just about gone. Excuse me. A generation that fought in World War II. And a depiction of these guys in this landing craft at Normandy shows commitment. Shows trust shows faith in God, love for their country, and trust for their brothers. There's sacrifice that takes place. You see it in the Bible. God sent his people into battle, and some of his people gave their lives. But they were committed to doing what he asked them to do. You know, if you ever really look at D-Day, General Eisenhower wrote a letter just in case it was a disaster, taking full responsibility for the entire operation. He blamed no one else. 
But at the same time, if you look at that day, you see God's hand at work. You see, God had veiled the eyes of Adolf Hitler to move more troops to that location, to move more tanks to that location. Hitler was convinced they were coming someplace else. So sometimes we don't understand, especially in war and in battle, that God's at work, but he is. We need to have that faith. You know, law enforcement officers and first responders are called into a job that's not a profession that's going to make any of them rich. And you think about what they do. They run into burning buildings. They run toward the gunfire. They stand in the middle of chaos as though it's no big deal. And they have each other's back because they trust one another. They also trust God. I'm going to tell you, it would amaze you, excuse me, if you knew the number of times law enforcement officers before running a warrant pray for each other and for the safety of the suspects they're going to arrest. God watches out for them because they are his children. And they're doing his work. It's a calling for them. Navy SEALs have a, uh, it's kind of like a 90 degree angle, a little, little chart. And one side of the chart, it says proficiency. And you're rated on your proficiency. And the other side has something that refers to trustworthiness. And if you're 100% proficient in all the things they want you to do and you're 10% trustworthy, guess who doesn't get to be a SEAL? We have to trust in one another. We have to trust in God. So what should you do to truly understand what commitment means to us as believers? Well, you should pray with an open and honest heart and ask for a better understanding of commitment and covenant through God's eyes, not yours. Don't take him for granted. You see, if your commitment is only on Sunday, you need to hear the truth. There is more to the covenant meaning of commitment. If you sit and do nothing for him, that's a decision based on your level of faith and trust in Jesus. All it takes for evil to prosper is for a good people to do nothing. Become an advocate for your Savior. Demonstrate his mission in every moment of your life. Do not rely on what you can do, but rely on his promises and what he can do through you. Do not just speak the truth. Live the truth. Do not live in fear. The only fear that is encouraged is to be fearful of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Fear is not an excuse to disobey God. There is no reason to live in fear when you have the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit. Fear will enslave you, and only Christ can set you free. Wouldn't it be great if we all had the tenacity and the devotion that Paul had to his Father's will? You know, it's great to begin our lives as believers with all the excitement and all the you know, energy that we have. It's far more important and far more difficult to finish with that faithfulness. God's covenant and commitment to us is through the, throughout the Bible. 
and you have seen it in your own lives, I know. We should stand on his never-failing promises. We heard Jesus say that it is finished, and he meant it. That cross is empty. Paul understood his role and God's role. He committed himself to God's will. Philippians 3, 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for the rubbish that I may gain gain Christ. So we come this morning to take communion that commitment that Jesus had to us. That promise he made with us. We come this morning knowing that he loves us and he's in a covenant with us. This commitment is all in for our lives for eternity. So what's your commitment to him? Are you his committed servant? Romans 6, 16 reads, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are a slave to one you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or whether you are obedient, which leads to righteousness. Commitment is not convenient. I promise you that. Make your commitment today. You see, God does not waver, Victor. God does not waver, and his will will be done. Make your commitment anew today as you take communion and give thanks to God's promises and the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.